We are the Bride Radio as the voice of the true Bride of Christ. the bride of Christ to stand up and take your place in the army in the kingdom we recognize our battle is not with flesh and blood but with the principalities and the powers of the air we are a ministry of prayer and we highlight what God is doing through other ministries and ministers across the globe we provide a platform for ministers and a place for the bride to come together and rally around each other, hold up each other's arms, and pray for one another. WATV Radio celebrates the various missions that God has called each one of us to in this army, so we desire to promote and enhance the bride as a whole. Go, bride! Our soon-coming king awaits. This is a WATB disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the views of We Are the Bride Ministries, We Are the Bride Radio, or We Are the Bride Television. Thank you. Welcome, my friends, to the Texas. Welcome to the Bride Time Live show with your host, Dr. June Knight. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Eli, I just want to say you look so handsome. <laughs> Thank you so much. I remember you when I saw you the other day at the Freedom March. You look uh you look very revived. You look very fresh and very alive. I'm I'm very excited to interview you tonight. Amen. Now listen, Amen. Eli, I have a lady that's gonna be joining me. She uh, is the WATB radio. She's the new director. We're going to be doing a lot of new things on the radio. So she will be with me tonight observing and learning how we do this interview. Okay. So I just want okay. you to meet her. Her name is Maka. Okay. So come on, Miss Maka. I am coming. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hey. I'm blessed. How are you? I'm wonderful. Hey, there you are. Pleasure to see you. It's good to see. Are you the one that was at the Freedom March? I yes. was. I was. I was the videographer. Oh, she was the videographer. You know, you, you blessed me. You really blessed me. You really Aww. did. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I, I was I was so blessed. You know, I really felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit when all when you guys embraced me from every side. I just felt that I just felt the arms of God just wrapping around me when you guys were holding me. I just wanted to let you know that you really blessed me. Eli, Eli, we have got a bad connection. Uh, can you sign off and come back in? Because I don't okay. know if it, I don't know if it's your internet or what. Okay. All right, Let me sign try it again. Back in, Eli. Okay. Then I'll be right back. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. I'll move this way to get both of us. Okay. 
Let's pray. Lord, we pray over this broadcast tonight that all of the media will work, that Eli's internet will be sufficient, and he will be able to uh, share his testimony because the testimony is the prophecy of Jesus. So we pray tonight that Eli will be able to share his testimony and that the internet will work, that the data plan will work in Jesus' name. All right, so let's get let's pray that it works this time. All right, Eli, I pray it works. What it was doing earlier is uh, shaking really bad, where the internet connection was kind of shady. Okay. It looks a lot better now, so let's pray that it works. Yes, Lord. Yes. And you sound clearer this time as well. Okay, good. I'm just going to grab something real quick I'm right here. Okay. All right, go ahead. Well, Brad, I just want to say share this broadcast. You need to share this broadcast, Brad, because people are going to watch this broadcast and they are going to be set free. Let me share. Amen. So while he's doing that, I am going to share this broadcast uh, on the TV page. Okay, so let me see here. I'll share it on the Dr. June night, and then I'm going to share it on the TV page. Okay. And then also, Eli, what I'm going to do is this broadcast will be aired on WATV radio as well. Okay. okay. At, a, at, a future, at a future date. So right now, okay. this one is for television and the next one will be used for radio. Okay. Awesome. All right. So Eli, we're going to go ahead and pray and then we're going to get started. Okay, brother? Yes. Okay. Lord, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to interview Eli tonight, Lord. We give you glory for what you have done in his life. We give you glory for setting him free and all the wonderful things, Lord, that you are doing in his life, Lord, and are continuing to do. Lord, we pray that you open the door wide, Lord, open the gates wide for people to hear the amazing story of your grace and of your love, Lord, your everlasting love and your mercy, Lord. So we just give you this broadcast tonight, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we include you in this, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that your anointing would be all over Eli tonight. Help him, Lord, to release what it is that you would have him to release for the bride uh, to be set free and to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, Eli, tonight is going to be very easy. Uh, so just kind of follow along with us. Okay, now, Eli, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? And was you raised in a big family, small family, or what? So I'm from, uh, my name is uh, Eli Contreras. I'm from Brentwood, California. It's about 40 minutes outside of San Francisco. 
And I have two brothers and I have two sisters. Oh, okay. Yeah. And was you raised in a Christian home? I was not raised in a Christian home. Um, you know, just being Hispanic, you know, we come from a, 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 we were baptized Catholic as babies, but we had no church history. Okay. There was a picture of Jesus on the wall when we were kids. Got you. Okay, so take yeah. us back in time, Eli, and talk to us about what it was like growing up. And, and the difference between this broadcast and what you did on Saturday is you don't have to rush. I want you to take us through your story, okay? So go ahead, okay. brother. Awesome. Okay, so uh, again, my name is Brother Eli Contreras, and you know, when I uh, give my testimony, you know, I refer to a story in the Bible, in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 1 through 20, and the Bible tells us about a man that was filled with, he had a legion of demons, and he was living in the tombs, and that he was cutting himself with stones, and that he would cry out in a loud voice, and the Bible says that, you know, Jesus came, you know, on a boat and met him face to face, they had an encounter, and as Jesus talked to him, he, he, he cast out all the demons, and he set the man free. And when the man realized that he was in his right mind and, and that he was free from the demonic uh, depression, he tried to get into the boat to go with Jesus. But Jesus told him, no, go back and tell them. That man, you know, I thought about, you know, how did he get to that place in the tombs? And how did he get to that place, you know, with a legion of demons living inside of him? And I try to picture my mind that, 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 that this man that I was reading about, that he was a beast, he was a creature, he was a monster. And as I begin to think about this man, the Lord began to show me he's not a beast. He's not a creature. He's not a monster. He's a man just like you. Wow. And the, and the, Lord, be, the, Lord, yeah. and the Lord began to tell me that it was a series of events that took place in that man's life that led him to now we're introduced to him in the, in the Gospels. And the, and the Lord began to reveal to me that once upon a time, he was a little boy. He had a mother and a father. He ate at a table. He played with other kids. He slept in a bed. But it was a series of events that took place in his life that led him to now we know him as the man with the legion of demons. And so when I started reading that story, you know, I was, I was very, it sounded very familiar. I was able to, you know, to relate to this man. And, uh, you know, my story starts, you know, when I was a little kid, I remember just being a, a young boy and we were at the river. And I remember for whatever reason, my father picked me up and he put me on his shoulders and he carried me into a bush and he took off his clothes and he began to do things to me that a, a, a man should never do to another man nor a father to a son. And I remember at that time when, when he began to do these things, our eyes connected. And, and I know that if my eyes could have spoke, they would have said, I don't understand what you're doing to me. And I remember when he finished, he, you know, he put his clothes back on, he put me back on his shoulders, and then he took me back to where everybody else was at, and he just kind of walked away. And, and there was a couple more times where, where you know, he sexually abused me. And, but as a little boy, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what homosexuality was. I didn't know what child abuse was. I didn't know what sexual abuse was. I just knew that that was my father. And more than anything, I wanted him to love me. I wanted him to embrace me. I wanted him to be proud of me. And so there was a time that, that you know, that my father, he stopped touching me. And, you know, and, and at five years old, I realized that I was sexually attracted to my own father. You know, I was sexually attracted to different men that I would see on TV and TV Guide. And, and when I saw these men, I was attracted to them. Again, I didn't know at that age, at five years old, I didn't know what homosexuality was. I didn't know what same attraction was. I didn't know what none of those things were. I just knew that I was attracted to men. And so I remember, you know, growing up, you know, my dad, he stopped touching me, you know, around four or five years old. And, but there was other men that came into my life that were willing to use me as a female, you know, and, and these men, you know, they would, they would take advantage of me. But again, I didn't look at it as abuse. 
you know, I looked at it as, as a form of, of affection. You know, I wanted the attention. I wanted somebody to love me, somebody to hold me. And so I allowed these men, you know, to, 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 to rape me, to use, to use me as a female. And, and, and so it was, it was a way of knowing that somebody wanted me. And so I remember, uh, you know, when I was eight years old, I was outside playing and I was riding a bike and I got attacked by a dog. And I remember as I was riding the bike, this dog came out and he started to bite me. And it started to, uh, it was growling and, and I was eight years old and I got, you know, fear came upon me. And I kept thinking while well, this dog was chewing on my leg, if I could only get away from this dog and into my dad's arms, I'll be safe. Again, I was never really safe in my father's arms, but I'm thinking here I'm getting attacked by this dog. If I could just get to my dad's arms, again, that's my father. You know, he's going to protect me. He's, he's the one that, 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 you know, will hold me and, and save me. And so I kept thinking if I can get away from my da uh, this dog and get into my dad's arms, I'll be safe. So I finally get away from the dog and, and I, I'm screaming, I'm crying. My dad hears me. He comes to the front door. He picks me up. He puts me in the kitchen sink. He tears off my pan legs where the dog had, where I got bit. And he pulls off this big kitchen knife and he starts trying to cut off my leg and saying that he needs to get the, the, the dog, the blood, you know, clean my leg. So he started trying to cut off my leg with a knife. And my mom had to come in and she had to wrestle me out of my dad's arms. And so that was my childhood, you know, abuse. You know, I remember again, just wanting more than anything for my dad to, to, to love me. I wanted him to embrace me. I wanted to make him proud. And, and it was just abuse, abuse, rejection. And, you know, when I was 13 years old, I started running the streets. I started, you know, hanging out with uh, other people, you know, and at 14 years old, I was already on cocaine. I was already using uh, crystal meth, you know, uh, methamphetamines. At 15 years old, I was in San Francisco hanging out with uh, homosexual and transvestite prostitutes. These were young boys that had been thrown away. They got kicked out of their house because they were gay. One of the there was they were divorced parents. They got remarried, and the new husband, the new wife, didn't want that part of the the person, so they would throw the kids out. and And so these were all young kids prostituting their bodies, selling their bodies to survive on drugs. And some of them, you know, they got beat to death. Some of them died of AIDS on the streets and and, you know, watching these young prostitutes at 15 years old, these guys, these, these young boys selling their body, I, I was envious of them. I, was, I, was, I wanted to so bad to put myself on the street and, and to, to prostitute myself. But this, uh, this fear came over me. What if nobody picks you up? What if nobody wants you? Everybody will laugh at you. And so even these young prostitutes, you know, I, I wanted, even if it meant selling my body, prostituting, I just wanted to know that somebody loved me. I just wanted to know that somebody, you know, that I was desirable. And so I remember, but at the same time, being 15 years old, coming from a Hispanic background, you know, they told me growing up that, you know, that, that God hates gay people. And if you're gay, you go straight to hell. And, 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 I, and just knowing that was my understanding of who God was. And so I grew up with an understanding that God would never love me and that when I died, I was going to go to hell because you can't question God. And so... I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the scriptures. I had nobody there to teach me anything. And so I just assumed that God hated me. And so I would ask question, God, why would you create me this way if, if I'm just going to live this life and then when I die, I'm going to burn in hell? I didn't understand. And so I began to have this hatred for God. And so I remember at 16 years old, I gave my soul to the devil. I was very, you know, rebellious, you know, to hide the, uh, the I wasn't willing to admit that I was a homosexual. So what I did was I put on the disguise. I you know, put on, I had a big mohawk, I would wear all black, you know, boots to my knees, and I would wear makeup, you know, black and white makeup, and I would spray paint on my jacket, I want to be hated, you know, I had safety pins going across my eyebrows, I had my nose pierced, my lips pierced, I had my throat pierced with safety pins, and, and I had this look, because I went to a school in Brentwood, California, 
where in the late 80s, it was only cowboys and it was jocks. And so I didn't want nobody to know that I was living a homosexual lifestyle or that I was, uh, that I was attracted to men. So I had to put on the disguise. And, and I remember that I would go to school and I would get beat up every day. I would get spit on. I would get jumped. I would get teased. And, and you know, every single day, I probably cried going home from school every day. And, and, but I, was, I would rather be hated and, 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 and beat up and picked on because I was weird rather than people knew that I was a homosexual. And so I remember at 16, I was very angry with God. I was very angry because I just wanted to live a normal life. I didn't want to get beat up all the time. I didn't want to get picked on. I wanted, you know, I had this desire of this, 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 this person. I just wanted somebody to love me. And everywhere I looked, you know, I was, I was getting rejected and I was getting beat up. And, and so I remember at 16 years old, I got kicked out of the, the high school. I was going to a continuation school. And there was a friend of mine there. One day he came to school. He had a satanic Bible with him. And I remember, uh, you know, we opened it up and we started reading it. And, and that day I gave my soul to the devil. And I thought, you know, and at first it was just like, okay, God, you're not going to love me. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to, you know, continue to, to ask you to, to love me. I'm just going to worship the devil and I'm not going to care. And, and that day I gave my soul to the devil. And I remember my life changed. There was a shifting, like everywhere I, I felt like I went, I felt like something bad was going to happen. You know, I always felt like there was somebody around me, you know, just uh, all of a sudden this, uh, just fear came over me. And I remember that, um, you know, I had a, a brother, he's three years older than me, and he was very violent, very angry. And, and every time we were in the same room, he w it was an automatic beating. You know, he would beat me. He was older than me. He was stronger than me. And so I could never overpower him. And I remember when he would beat me, I would tell him, you know, I hate you so much. I wish you would die. I wish you would die. And I remember one day sitting at my table in my mother's house. It was at nighttime and I remember some detectives pulled up to our house and they got down, they knocked on the door and they were having this conversation with my mom. And I remember they told her that, that he had been killed, that he was shot four times in his face and he left, was left in the field to decompose. And, and I remember when, when watching that whole scene, I still see it in my mind today you know, uh, I saw my mom scream and she hit the floor. And I remember when she hit the floor and she began to scream for her son to come home and the detectives were trying to tell him that he's not coming back, that he's, he's gone. And, and they gave uh, my mother a picture of my sister that they found in his, in his wallet. He didn't have a face. You know, when they found him, he was left in the field. He was decomposing from the sun being left out there. And so they had uh, no body for my mother to, to see in a casket. They had to cremate him. And and, and, and just watching my mom, you know, break at that point. And, and I remember sitting at the table again, my heart was already so hard and, and, I, and I had built already defense mechanisms to, to deal with pain. And, and I remember thinking the first thought that came to my mind, hearing the detective say that he was dead, I, said, I thought to myself, I never have to take that beating again. And I knew that when, he, when my brother died, I would never, he, would, he never had the opportunity to beat me anymore. And, and that was how my heart was hardened. And that's what kind of, that's what place I was in at that time. You know, and, and now at 47 years old, I feel things that I couldn't feel when I was 16 years old. And so through this interview, I might cry a couple of times. I don't know what's going to happen, but, but, you know, my brother was murdered at 16 and I didn't care. I, I, I didn't, it didn't mean anything to me to watch my mom screaming and her heart being torn out of her chest, broken in half and, 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 and that she lost her son. I felt nothing. You know, the very next day I went to school and, and the news had got around to everybody that, that my brother had been murdered because it was a small town. And, and I remember I walked into the school and the, uh, the secretary, she looked at me, she goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm going to school. 
and she came around the counter and she and she she looked at me and she says nobody's going to think any less of you if you cry and she gave me a big hug and i thought is that what people are supposed to do that you, you cry you know and because i didn't feel anything and so i i let her hug me and i, and I pretended to cry so that she could let me go and so i remember just going on with my day and and, and it, nothing mattered you know i remember you know being uh you know attacked by by demons you know, and at 16, 17 years old and, and having nightmares. And I would try not to sleep because when I closed my eyes, the demons would, would I would have nightmares of demons killing me and, and all these crazy things. And, and I remember that uh, one day the demon, I was on the bus, I was going home from school and, and all the kids, whatever reason, they decided to attack me. And, and uh, some kids held me down in the aisle and, and the other guys were trying to rip my mohawk off. They were trying to pull my hair out of my head. And, and everybody on the bus was kind of just cheering them on. And, and even the bus driver looked from the, I saw the bus driver look in the rearview mirror and, and she just kept driving and, and they were trying with scissors, they were trying with a little pocket knife and they were just trying to rip my hair out of my head because I had a mohawk that stuck straight up. And I remember just being so humiliated and I remember just, I wanted to cry so bad, but I, I held it in because I didn't want to give that to them. And I remember when, when the, uh, there was one guy on the bus out of all the kids, you know, he kind of pushed everybody away and he helped me get back to my seat. And I sat there in my seat frozen because I didn't know I was so, you know, humiliated, so embarrassed. And I remember it, we got to my, my, my bus stop and I got off the bus. And I remember as soon as I hit the ground, my feet hit the ground, tears began to flood out of my eyes. And I began to just cry and I just began to break. I just began to say, why, God? Why? Why? Why am I living like this? Why are you doing this to me? And I heard this voice saying, you need to kill your parents. You need to kill your parents. Somebody needs to pay for what happens to what, all these things that are happening. Somebody needs to pay. You need to go home. You need to kill your parents. And I remember I, and as I was walking home, the, the demons began to show me to get a guitar string and to wrap it around my dad's neck and, and, and to just, to, you know, cool it until it cut into his throat. And I was supposed to strangle my mom and, and I was supposed to kill. Demon wanted me to kill my parents. And I remember I got home and I told my mom, I said, mom, I said, the devil said that, that, that I'm supposed to kill you and my dad and there's a, hell, uh, there's a place in hell for all three of us. And when, she, when I said that to her, she, you know, she, she got angry, she got upset and she told me, get out of my house, get out of my house. Wow. And from that point, yeah, from that point on, I remember that uh, I used to sleep outside in the backyard. We had like a little tiny beat up shed that, and, um, and so I made that my little room. They told me you could come into the house during the daytime, but you can't come at night because they didn't know what I was going to do. I was, I was not really in my right mind. And, wow. and so, so I remember at night. There. Stop, 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 Eli. Okay. Before you go any further, I want to explain something to the bride about you hearing okay. these voices. Okay. Yes. Uh, bride, this is very, very real. Listen, <clears throat> when I was in the occult, Okay, because you mm. were saying how you was in the occult. When I was in the occult, uh, I was doing the Ouija board. Uh, for I did it for a year and a half, and I'd say the last six months, no, the last two months, I was hearing voices telling me that. Kill your family. Kill yourself. Yes. You know, it's just like it's a death demon. And the demon, this is how these people, when y'all wonder how these people do these heinous acts, this is how they do it. That all they're doing is they're acting upon these voices that have convinced them that this is the way out of their misery. 
Yes. So I just wanted you to know that I wanted you to grasp, okay, Brad? I want you to grasp what it is that he's trying to tell you. All these doors that were opened up to him since he was a little boy have brought this in. And I just want to say, Eli, before you go any further, I know many of you out there are probably crying like I am. Our hearts just go out to you like when you talk about the beatings that you went through and all the things, it's heart-wrenching, you know. I, I'm just thankful God brought you through it, but keep going. We're still with you. So and then, so there was a time where, where you know, my mom didn't feel safe for me being in the house because I was just doing off-the-wall things and, yeah. and talking strange. And, and so... I, I used to sleep outside in the little shed, and, and I remember as soon as the sun started to go away, I could feel uh, fear would begin to grip me as, as night came, and, and I would make my way to the, to the little shed and back, and I spray-painted the windows, and I remember I, put, I nailed a board across the window so that nobody could see in. I, um, I remember taking off the doorknob, and, and I made a hole in the wall and, and, and where the beam was at, and so I would put a chain where the doorknob was the hole and across the beam in the wall, and I would lock myself with a padlock in there, and I would put nails all the way through the door, trying to protect myself from, from demons coming and torturing me at night. Wow. And I remember the, the door, even though the door was nailed and, and locked with a chain, I remember the door would still vibrate. I, and I could hear, uh, like, scratching on the ceiling. And, and I would try to, yeah, I, I, would try to uh, I would try to rationalize it. I'm like, it's just a tree. It's just wind. You know, it's, it's really nothing. And, 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 and I would try to rationalize it. But these things were really happening. And I remember in, in my, you know, in my attempts to try to defend or protect myself from these things, I, one day I hear a voice and he says, he says, you can do all these things to try to protect yourself. He says, but it's no use. He says, we're not out there. We're inside you. You invited us in. You let us in and we're not leaving. And that's what the demon told me. And, and, and that's when I begin to realize, what did I do? You know, what do, what do I do now? And and so, you know, I, I just continued to use drugs and I continued to try to, you know, uh, to, to, to live and to get, you know, the torment, you know, you have to, you know, you have, without losing your mind, you have to try to make sense of everything. And as it goes on and on, you kind of grow, it grows normal, you get used to it and, and you begin to sometimes, well, what I did is I began to talk to demons and I begin to, you know, communicate, you know, talk back and forth and, and uh, so a lot, so those things were happening. When I was 18 years old, I remember, you know, I remember there was this, this, this kid that uh, was in an adopted home that was down the street from where I lived. And, and my friend had uh, been adopted years before. So I knew these people and I would hang out at that house. And, and I remember that this little kid that everywhere I went, you know, he came. If I went outside, he went outside. If I went to the store, he went to the store. Wherever I went, he, he wanted to follow me. And I didn't, and I wasn't used to people wanting to be around me. You know, and so, but the demon in, in my mind, and, you know, he starts to tell me he's following you because he wants you to touch him. And so all of a sudden there was this, this, this urge, like, what am I going to do? And, you know, and, and I was hanging out with this kid. And I remember for about a year, this went on and, it, and, and the, the struggle began. It was a real struggle. It was a real struggle. And, and about a year later, you know, it was, it was such a torment that I had to make a decision, you know, and, 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 and I, the demon wanted to become like those men that abused me when I was a little kid. And, and I remember thinking to myself, you know what, you have to either, either touch him or kill yourself. Those are your options. And, and so I went home that night and, and, and I decided it's better for me to kill myself than to, to touch this little boy. And it's better for me to die than to become like all those men that abused me. 
And so I went home and, and, and I swallowed a bunch of pills and I took, I, I swallowed every, anything I could find and, and I laid down on my, in, the, in the little shed in the dark and, and I just wait, closed my eyes and I waited to die. And I remember that, uh, you know, because when I went, when I would come home at night, you know, the music would play real loud. You know, I was listening to, to, to speed metal, punk rock music, and I would turn it up really loud. And, and that night I came home and it was just still and quiet in, in that little shed. And my aunt said, there's something wrong because usually it's loud back there. He's not doing anything. And so they went back to her and my mom and they realized I was just laying there unresponsive and, and they were shaking me and uh, I w everything was just kind of turning gray. And they ended up taking me to the hospital and, and uh, the doctors, you know, they interviewed me and they asked me, you know, what's going on. And there was so much going on in my mind that I didn't really know where to start. So I said, nothing's going on, you know, and they ended up putting me in a, a mental institute for two weeks in observation to, to, to check my mind. And, and I remember when I was in that place that, you know, it seemed like everything was okay. There was, you know, no torment, you know, uh, my life was manageable. And then after two weeks, they just said, you know, there's nothing wrong with him. And I remember walking out the, the front door to that hospital. And I remember when I walked out of that door, I walked right back into my old self, the pain, the hurt, the fear, you know, uh, darkness, torment, and addiction. And, and I realized the only thing that has changed in these last, you know, couple of weeks that I was in that hospital is that I haven't been on drugs. And so one of the ways that I, I used to, to um, cope with all this chaos that was going on around me was I would get high and, you know, um, I, in my life back then, though, I had people that were involved in organized crime, selling drugs in other countries and different states, and they had so much money. And, 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 you know, with those kind of people in my life, I was able to build my own drug kingdom. And so I went from having nothing to, to having cars, gold, diamonds, jewelry. You know, if I needed women to prostitute, they were there. If I was attracted to a man, I could give him everything he could never give himself, but at a price. And, uh, you know, the weird thing about it is that, you know, when it came to men, I, was, I wasn't attracted to, like, feminine men. I wasn't attracted to men that were willing. It was only men that I had to manipulate. It was only men that I, I, I had to break down mentally, you know, and, and, and uh, those were the people that I was attracted to. And so um, that was my goal. You know, when I seen a man that I, that I wanted, you know, I, I would just manipulate him. I would give him everything that he could never give himself. I would keep him on drugs, and I would... You know, so he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what he was doing. And, and this man had a, a, a wife and kids at home, and, but they were coming back to get drugs. And they knew that, that you know what, if I want to get high, I got to continue doing what I'm doing. And, and that means sleeping with me. And so and then they would go back to their wife and kids. And, and uh, you know, I was, in a relationship, I was in a relationship with a man for three years. And, and uh, you know, he was my everything. I, I needed that man. I needed somebody to love me again. You know, it was, it was, it was all about, I, I, needed, I was looking for love, looking for somebody to hold me, somebody that would love me. And, and, you know, and I did whatever I had to do to get it desperate, desperate. And it didn't matter to me that I destroyed men's lives. It didn't matter to me that I destroyed their families. I didn't care about their kids. I didn't care about their wife. I didn't care about nothing. All I was th thinking about was, I'm so desperate. I want somebody to love me. And so, you know, but with that kind of, uh, with that kind of drug influence, you know, money, and, you know, men were willing to do anything they had to do you know, to, to get high and, and, but I remember it got to the point where, you know, living that life, selling drugs and just all the chaos that comes with it, you know, manipulating men and, and uh, that it began to take a toll on me. And I began, you know, I remember my mind began to slip more and more. And, and I got to the point where I was just shooting drugs day and night, shooting it, eating it, drinking it, smoking it. You know, I was, I was trying to figure out new ways to get the, the chemicals in my body. And wow. what I did most, my choice of drug was crystal meth. 
But I mean, if I had cocaine, I would mix it with, with, with the crystal meth. If I had heroin, it didn't matter. What, uh, sometimes I would shoot up my own blood. If I didn't have no drugs, I would shoot up my own blood, thinking that I can get high. And, and, um, and so, but when, the, so when some of the drug dealers, they begin to see that the, my mental state, you know, I was very, um, I was very dark. You know, uh, I was always talking about death. You know, I, I was always talking about my hatred for Jesus, my hatred for God that I wanted to see God burn. And, you know, and I used to mock, uh, you know, the Virgin Mary and just all these foul and uh, things would come out of my mouth. And, and, you know, I started, so the, the, the drug dealers, they begin to see me losing my mind, talking to myself, paranoid, thinking that there was somebody trying to kill me, that there was people on the roof and, and all these things. And so they started to, to pull back and they stopped bringing me drugs. And, and even though I was selling a lot of drugs and I was making a lot of money, they pulled back. And so I went from having everything a man can want, 12 of them, you know, 12 of everything. So I had absolutely nothing, nothing. Now every, now it was a struggle to even stay high. And, and the whole purpose of me getting high was because it numbed the pain. You know, for a moment, I felt nothing. I remember the first time that, that I, I, I put a needle in my, in my arm and I shot up. I felt that the chemicals go through my blood and it hit my brain. And I remember uh, that very moment I fell back. You know, I fell back when the drugs were rushing through my mind. And uh, it was such a, it was so powerful that I fell back and I, in my mind, I thought to myself, the devil said, all my life, I've been picking at you, trying to break you down. I've been trying to break you down. But here I was in this place, you know, the needle in my, in my arm and the, the, the chemicals rushed to my brain. And I said, and I realized that, that I fell into Satan's embrace. And I said, this is where I want to die. I never want to leave this place because when I shot up that first time, the pain was gone, the hurt was gone. I felt like a brand new man. I felt like I, I could do anything, nothing could stop me. And so that was the beginning of my addiction. And I thought, this is where I need to stay. And so, it, you know, you never find that, that, that same high after the first time. So my constant drug addiction from 19, or, well, from selling drugs, from shooting drugs from 19 to 32 was trying to find that same high. And so if it meant sticking uh, 50 needles in your arm a day, then that's what you do, you know, to, st to stay high. And so I begin to lose my mind and I begin to, to hear voices and I begin to talk back to people that were not there. And so now there's no drugs. Now I'm living in the street and now I have nothing. My friends are gone. The money's gone. You know, everything's gone. And so here I am, I'm living in the streets and, and, and I'm losing my mind. I thought bugs were eating me from the inside out. I could feel my body moving. And I, and I started to, uh, to pull out my teeth. You know, my teeth were rotted from the drug addiction you know, not take, not brushing my teeth. And I remember I had abscessed all over my mouth. My teeth were breaking out. And so the pain, you know, of, of, of you know, you know, my teeth rotting, I would start pulling my teeth out with my fingers. All my teeth are fake. They come, I pull them out every night, but my real teeth, I would sit there and pull them out with my fingers. I would find wire and sharpen it on the road, you know, glass, anything pointy. And I would pull my teeth out because, because of the pain, because of the abscess and and so here I am I'm, I'm with razor blades and glass trying to pull off my skin. And the demons would tell me, take all the skin off your head and your face. And I had a mohawk, so all this was, was bald. And, and so I would sit there and cut my head, and, and there would be blood dripping. And I would be sitting, sitting on the side of the road, you know, uh, pulling my teeth out, cutting, you know, trying to get bugs out of me, just living this life screaming and, and talking to people that weren't even there. And, uh, you know, I was dirty. I never took a bath. You know, I smelled, you know. I had nowhere to go to the bathroom. And so you could imagine, you know, um, I never took off my shoes or my socks and for, for a, a long period of time. And so I remember to the point where my socks, my feet would sweat, and especially in the summertime, my feet would sweat. And um, the sweat and, and the dirt, 
you know, the dirt and the, uh, the sweat, it turned into a glue after time and, and my skin and, and my sock became one, you know? So when I would step, I could feel my skin ripping off my feet and my toenails, they grew so long that they were grown and they were curled or in different directions. And my toenails were living inside my feet. I could feel them every time I step, I would cut, they would cut through the meat of my feet. And I, so I, when I walked, I was decrepit. I, I was walking, my bones hurt, my feet hurt, my mind hurt. Everything was, was you know, out of place. And, and I was still, and I, I was a punk rocker. So I had this look, I was consumed with demons, consumed with darkness and, and, and I couldn't walk. You know, I was uh, decrepit looking. And, and my sister says that I was gray. She says, I didn't even have a color, I looked gray. And so here wow. I am, this man, and, and, and I'm walking up and down the highway, screaming at God, cussing God out cursing God and telling him, I want to die. I want to die. And, and, and this is how I was living my life. I became the man with a legion of demons. I became this man that we read about in the gospel. You know, I, 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 I would, I would, uh, every so many minutes, I, I would transition to another mind. And, and, and I, one minute I was this, the next minute I was that, you know, and it was exhausting. And, and I remember just laying on the floor, laying on the ground on the side of the road, sometimes looking up and, and pleading with God, begging God, God, you know, if you could find any mercy in your heart for me, kill me. Let me die. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live like this anymore. And I remember looking up in the, at the sky, laying on my back on the side of the road in the middle of the night, pouring rain, and, and, and I could hear God laughing at my torment. And, and, and I remember the next day I would, I would beg Satan, Satan, if you have the power to take my life, I'll spend eternity in hell with you. Just take me out of this pain that I'm living in. I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I, I, you know, I thought that, you know, it, it, even, even if I went to hell, that in between this life and the next life, that there would be a, a little bit of relief. I was in agony. I was tormented. I was, you know, I was exhausted. I was, I was beat down mentally, physically. I had no self-esteem. You know, I, I wanted to die. And I remember at nights I would, I would lay, you know, I would cry myself to sleep every night laying on the side of the road. And I remember one, one night, you know, it was pouring rain and, and there was wind blowing and papers and garbage were, were flying back and forth across the street. And I was sitting there under the street, like soaking wet, looking at the trash. And, and I said to myself, you know, even the garbage has somewhere to go. I have nowhere to go. Nobody's coming for me. This is, this is my life. And, and I would beg God, God, just let me die. Just let me die. You know, when I begged God to, to let me die, not one day in my life did I ever say God don't exist. I don't believe in God. That was never my confession. I always believed in God. I always believed in God. I just didn't believe that he would love somebody like me. And I didn't know how to convince God to love me. And the devil said, why would God love you? Your own father didn't love you. Your own brothers didn't love you. Your, the, the kids at school never loved you. Nobody ever loved you. Why would, why would God love you? Kill yourself. Die. You're, all these people that see you every single day, they're sick of seeing you. Nobody wants to see you. Nobody wants to hear you. Just kill yourself. Just die. And I, and I wanted to, suicide attempts. I put a gun in my mouth, a bullet didn't come out. I overdosed on, on drugs on purpose, you know, only to wake up the next day with the needle still in my arm. You know, several times, people trying to kill me. I had my head busted open with hammers. I had my face smashed in, people shooting at me. And, and one night, I, re, I even remember almost freezing to death. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and I stood up with, with, with frost all over me. I stood up, and I heard every single one of my bones crack. And as I'm walking down the street, decrepit, again, decrepit, my bones are frozen, I'm, I'm freezing, I'm, I'm drug addicted, I'm demon-possessed, I'm living in the street. And, and I said, God, why didn't you let me sleep 10 minutes more? I could have froze to death. Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you not letting me die? And, 
you know, I want what I wanted everybody to know is that, you know, even though I was this man, demon possessed, drug addicted, living on the streets, crazy, screaming at people that weren't there, you know, there was a tiny boy. There was a tiny boy living inside me that was carried into a bush that was sexually abused and, and he was afraid. He was afraid and he was living inside me. He needed, he needed somebody. He needed somebody to embrace him. He needed somebody to pick him up, to take him home, to say, it's going to be okay. And that person never came and I wanted to die. I was scared. And I remember that, you know, the, the, there, was, there, was, there was no more drugs. And I remember everybody was gone and I was all by myself. I was in a, a world filled with people, but completely alone. And I remember, you know, even through all that, you know, I had a mother that loved me. I had a mother that always loved me. She always cared about me. I just didn't know how to receive love from her. You know, it was like I, I needed my dad to love me. I needed that man, that, that role model. I needed some, that strong man to, to hold me, to embrace me. And my mother was there from the beginning for me. She never, you know, even when I was living on the streets, her and my aunt, they would drive up and down the highway. They said, if we drive down this road long enough, I know sooner or later I'll see my son laying thrown somewhere on the ground. You know, when she wouldn't see me for, for days, you know, she in her mind, she would think, you know, he's dead. He overdosed. Somebody killed him. And it was like from when from the time I was 16 to the time I was 32 years old, I made my mom live my brother's death over and over and over every single day. Every time the phone rang, she said, it's the police to tell me my son's dead. If somebody knocked on the door, it was the police to tell me we found your son's body. And she just knew I was going to die out there in the streets. And, and so that was my life living out there on drugs. You know, I mean, there's so much more and, uh, but you know, the, that's where I was. I, I became this man, this, this man filled and consumed with demons, no self-esteem, just a shell of a person. And I remember, you know, hearing people's testimony and they say, you know, all the time that, you know, I, I, I was running out of hope. I, I ran out of hope. And, and, you know, and, and I tell people all the time, you know, even on my worst day, I had one hope left and that, that hope was that one day I will die and this will all be over. Wow. You know, I, when I used to sell drugs, you know, I used to, I used to sometimes just be the delivery person. I would take large amounts of drugs to, the, to these houses. And, and there was one house that was outside right next to San Francisco in, in Richmond, California. We used to take drugs. And, and you know, most of the people in that house had AIDS. And they were all criminals. They were all drug dealers in and out of prison. And I remember walking into the house with, you know, bringing this, the, 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 the drugs. You know, the first thing that they do is they hand me a syringe. And, and I'm like, I know these people, they're heartless. They don't care. They told me, you know, I'm going to probably die in prison. I'm going to die a horrible death. And, and if I'm going to die, everybody around me should, if I'm going to suffer, everybody else might as well suffer too. And so that was their, 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 their thought process. And I remember the first thing that they would do, they hand me the syringe. And while I was sticking it in my arm, I was thinking, what if this needle is infected? Because these people don't care about me. And so I would stick the needle thinking, if this needle's infected, I'm going to get AIDS because some of the people, most of the people in that house were dying of AIDS. And, and, uh, but this was my thought, you know, half of my mind was a little concerned. Well, what if you catch AIDS? And the other half of my mind was thinking, well, if you catch AIDS, at least, you know, you'll have an expiration date because I really wanted to die. I was, I was just looking for a way out and escape. And, and so I remember, you know, 32 years old, you know, I, I lived in the, my teenage years in torment. I lived my, you know, all my twenties in the streets selling drugs, you know, getting beat up, drug overdoses, suicide attempts, all these things. And, and uh, 32 years old, I'm walking down the street. And I remember as I was walking down the street, you know, I was walking towards the freeway in, 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 in Oakley, California. And, and uh, I hear this voice that says, if you want all the pain to stop, all you have to do is walk in front of the next diesel that goes by and it, everything will be over. You can rest. Oh, and that no. was the key word. 
the key word that was rest, I was exhausted. I was tired. There was nothing left. I, I, I was done. And um, there was not enough drugs. There was not enough men. You know, it was, it was just, it, there was nothing left. And so the key word that, that he used was rest. I was tired. I was tired. And so I thought that's what I'm going to do. And I started walking towards the freeway and it, diesels were, were coming, you know, down the road. And, and, and I just kept saying to myself, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Just run. If you think about it, you're going to talk yourself out of it. And so I remember trying to, uh, you know, trying to prepare myself mentally, just run, just run, don't think, just run, you know, run in front of the diesel. And I remember seeing this car, this white car drive past me. And usually when a car drove past me and the brake, they hit the brakes and they started coming around, they were going to throw things at me, try to run me over, make fun of me, beat me up. They were going to something, it was going to be something negative. And so I see this car drive past me and I saw the brake lights and in my mind, I thought, you don't have to stop. You don't have to turn around. You don't have to throw nothing at me, yell something at me. Whatever you're going to say, I already know. I already know. And, and, and so I'm going to kill myself and you never have to see me again. And, and so this car, it, it stopped and it made a U-turn and it came back in. And, and it was this woman with her eight-year-old daughter and, and she parked right next to me. She parked right next to me. And she said, sir, she says, I just want to tell you that God loves you more than you can ever imagine. And when she said that to me, I thought, I started thinking to myself, I said, in my mind, I thought, lady, you have no idea what I have been through with God. And, 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 and I looked at her, I said, and I opened my mouth, I said, lady, God don't love me. I'd rather be on fire. I was so convinced that God would never love me. I said, I'd rather be on fire. And she says, no, everywhere I go, I see you when I go this way, when I go that way, when I take my kids to school, when I go grocery shopping, she goes, everywhere I go, I see you. She said, I told my husband, I think the Lord wants me to pray for this man because everywhere I go, I see him. And she's telling me this, and, and she's, it's just her and her daughter. And she says, but my husband said, told me that if I ever stop to talk to you to make sure that, that I'm, my husband's with you because you look crazy and you might attack me. She says, but as I drove by you right now, she said, the Lord said, if you don't stop and talk to him today, tomorrow will be too late. And when she said that to me, I realized all my life, all my life, all I ever wanted was for somebody to acknowledge me, somebody to see me. I felt like I was invisible. And I realized that day of all people to, to acknowledge me, it was God himself, because this lady has absolutely no idea who I am, a complete stranger. And um, she began to tell me, she goes, the same way I see you out here on drugs, talking to yourself, walking up and down. She says, I, the Lord showed me you walking these same streets with a Bible in your hand and you preaching the word of God. That's wow. what she said to me. And, and that completely went over my head. I remember the words that she said, but that went over my I couldn't even grasp that. I'm still stuck at yeah, God yeah. sees me right now. God sees me right now. And so she began to pray for me. She began to pray for me. And, and I remember she drove away and I was just, in, I was in awe at what had just happened. And I'm here, I'm getting ready to kill myself. But then all of a sudden, God intervenes with a woman to, to, to preach to me, to, to speak to me and to tell me how much he loved me. And, and again, that little boy, that's all he wanted was somebody to love him. And so I remember she drove away and I watched her car get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I remember her car was gone. And, and when her car went disappeared, I remember turning around and there was the demon. But you're still homeless. You're still a drug addict. You still smell. Nobody loves you. You might as well kill yourself. And the seed was stolen that quick. And I continued for the next year living on the streets, using drugs, worshiping the devil, making covenant after covenant after covenant with Satan and uh, sleeping with men, living that life, wanting to die. And I remember March 27th, and you know, a couple of people have died that, that were, I was close to, and, 
and lies were spread. And so there was a group of people, uh, gangsters, that were looking for me to kill me. And, um, and how God works orchestrates everything. The same time that all that happened, I was walking down a friend of mine, a child, you know, a friend that I've known forever, you know, and uh, I was outside her house screaming and, and, you know, because I'm hearing 15 voices in my head and they're all screaming at me, telling me all these things. And so I'm screaming back and, and there's nobody there. You know, when I saw a group of people, you know, I, I just assumed this is the people. So I would, I would bust 40 bottles. I would pick up pipes and, and I would just walk towards that crowd thinking, I'm going to kill you. I want to die. Somebody kill me because I'm thinking that they're going to kill me. And so all these things. So she says, come into my house. And, uh, and you know, she invited me to her house and, and she made me something to eat. I fell asleep. She goes, you is need to rest. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this the uh -huh. same woman? This is not the same woman. This is another lady. Okay. This is all another right. lady. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that woman that stopped and prayed for me throughout the, that whole year, she came on the streets and she brought her husband, she brought her kids and, and uh, she would just randomly like come and she goes, I want you to be my husband and these are my kids. And, wow. and I remember, I remember one day that she pulled up, I mean, I could be in the bush, like sleeping with a man or with a needle on my neck. And I don't know how on her driving down the freeway, she sees me, she backed up. She goes, is that you? She goes, I see you. She goes, are you ready for me to pray for you? I mean, this lady was relentless. She was relentless. She saw something in me with, with God's eyes that nobody else could see because I was a filthy I was a, a madman. I was so perverted. I, I wanted nothing to do with God. I hated God. I hated, I didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. And I, I would have j uh, visions of Jesus burning on the cross. I hated him. And, uh, and, and, and I was voicing that. That's what I would voice. I was that person. I hate God. And I want to see Jesus burn. And, and I was screaming these things, walking up and down the street. And, and so this woman to have love and compassion for me, it was only God, because I want to say something, you know, from, the time I was 13, I started running the streets. From the time I was 18, 19 years old to 32, I was living on that street, screaming, talking to myself. And how many, and I'm not saying this to put the church down, but how many pastors drove past me? How many church, how many Christians drove past me, see me in this condition, you know, and why did it take, you know, from 19 to 32 for somebody to stop, you know, um, and I, now that we're at this, I, you know, I'm reminded about, you know, even after I got saved, there was a man, I got a job and I was working far away from my house. And, and there was a man that, well, I'll get into that later because I don't want to joke too far ahead. But, you know, she would see me and, and she would, uh, she would pray for me no matter where I was at. She would find me and she started, if she didn't see me for a couple of days, she said, okay, Lord, either he's, he's in jail or he's dead. And so she would pray to God and she said, God, don't let him die without knowing you. Don't let him die. And then I would reappear. And so, but that was throughout the years. She would pray for me. She took me to her house and she would pray for me. I would throw my syringes. I would throw my, uh, my drugs in her bush and I would knock on her door. And I don't know what possessed me to even go to her house. I think it was because I was hungry, but you know, she was going to feed me. And, but she would also pray for me. She would anoint me with oil and she would pray over me. And when she would start praying for me, I could feel my pores all over my body opening and liquid would come out of my body. Oil would come out of my body. And, and I would pass out. And then I remember waking up and, and I would say, what happened? And she says, when I started praying for you, she says, the demons put you out because they didn't want you to hear what I was saying. Yeah. And so that was going on with, you know, throughout that year. Then I would go back out there and pick, get my needles and start using drugs, sleep with men. And, um, but this other friend of mine, you know, they, 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 uh, they brought me into the house and I was so tired, so exhausted. I slept for a couple of days and, and, uh, you know, there was drugs there available. So I really didn't have to run back and forth all over the place. And, 
And so th that's how God orchestrates because the time that this, this friend of mine brought me into their house and was just feeding me and, you know, she's like, just rest your feet, you know, take a bath, you know, just rest, relax, your mind's tired, you know, and, and the drugs were there. I didn't know the whole time that I was at that house uh, that there, there was a gang of people, a gang, like a real gang, like from Southern California, there was people that, that were gangs, they were killers, they were looking for me to kill me. And uh, so they were driving up and down the highway that I, that I was normally would walk with guns and they said, kill, shoot him at sight. And so I wasn't there because the Lord used this woman to, to bring me to a house. And, and so I was there and, and I wasn't hiding from anybody, but God made me invisible yeah. because he had a purpose for my life. And, and so anyways, I walked, I remember one day I walked away from the house and I started walking down highway four in Brentwood and, and I get to this intersection in, in, in Oakley and, um, and all of a sudden, it was, uh, I, heard a I heard a voice, and it says, turn away. And I know that when I heard that voice, turn away, I know instantly he was saying it was God, and he was saying, everything that you are, everything that you're doing, turn around, walk a different direction, walk away from yourself. And, and at that very moment, the Lord showed me four pictures. He showed me a picture that I was wearing all white. He showed me a picture that I was in my right mind. He showed me a picture that I was reunited with my family. And he showed me the fourth picture. He showed me I was on my knees. I was on my face worshiping Jesus Christ. All I saw was myself on, on my face and I saw feet. And I knew in, in my spirit, I knew in, my, in myself that I was worshiping Jesus. And, and, and the Lord says, turn away. The second time, when he says turn away, the second time, I just begin to break. I begin to cry. I begin to run up and down the highway screaming. And, and it was normal. It was normal for me to be crying, laying on the side of the road, yelling and, and crying and and, but this time there was a, a cry was coming out of me that I didn't even know existed. I was breaking. I didn't understand what was happening. I wanted my mom, you know, I wanted, I didn't, I was afraid and I didn't know what was going on. There was something was happening to me. And, and I remember that uh, I thought that lady that prays to me, that lady so know what's happening to me. I mean, this was something supernatural happening. And, and I remember I ran to her house and I'm banging on her door and some man answered and, and he's like, whoa, and he's like, wait a minute. And then, so he called uh, Sister Miriam, which was the lady that prayed for me. And her husband's Roger, and Miriam comes to the door. She looked at me and she said, "It's time." And I'm thinking, "Time for what?" You know, I don't know what's happening. And 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 so she brings me into her house and and she makes me a sandwich and she's picking up the phone and she's calling her pastor. She's calling all these people and, and I don't know who she's calling, but she puts me in the car and uh, and she tells me, uh, she says, "You know, I was supposed to leave 20 minutes ago to church with my husband, but for some reason the Lord spoke to me and said, don't leave, wait, take the other car.'" And so she says, my husband left, but I, but I stayed. She goes, and if I would have left with my husband, I would have missed you. And so we get in the car and we're going to church. And, and the church was about 40 minutes away from, it was a little Spanish church. I don't speak Spanish, but we got in the car and we're driving down the freeway. And, and, you know, she's speeding because she's like, I need to hurry and get him to church before he changes his mind. And, and we're driving. And, and I remember we get like, uh, we get into um, almost close to the church and we're on the freeway. And all of a sudden, the, the, you know, the demon he, uh, he try, attempts one more time. And, um, and he says, you know, you're running out of time. It's your last chance. Any minute, you're going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, he's going to see everything. Everything that you've ever done in darkness. All the perversion. Everything that you've done in dark, it's going to be, you're going to be exposed. You're going to stand before God naked. And I remember when the demon said that to me, I thought, I started to reflect who I was, what kind of a man I was, the things that I've done. And I remember, I remember, uh, you know, thinking in my mind how filthy I was. And, and all these thoughts kept rushing through my mind. 
and and in in my in my in the darkness in my torment in that demon possession you know I, I remember trying to sleep with an animal because i didn't think a human being would ever touch me i didn't feel like i a human would love me i felt too dirty too filthy and so i tried to sleep with an animal you know i remember times that i had that i had human feces in my mouth, you know, and it just seemed like a normal thing. And, and, and all these things kept coming to my mind and, and a, a blanket of shame fell on top of me. And, and I said, I don't want nobody to see this, not even God. And it, the demon says, open the door, open the door, jump out, kill yourself, save yourself from God. And I remember the shame, the chaos. I mean, this is just craziness. All, I mean, I was already crazy before the, the day before, but now this is just a supernatural. I mean, yeah. I just, it's a lot. And so I remember putting my hand on the car door to jump out of the car on the freeway. And I remember I blacked out. And the next thing I remember, you know, the sister, Sister Miriam, she was opening my door. She says, we're here. And I remember that when we, uh, when we walked into the church, you know, I was still crying. I was still, you know, I was, I was, I couldn't control myself. And, and I saw my mom sitting in, in the church pew and, and I hadn't seen my mom in a long time because again, we, we lost contact because my, I, because of me, you know, my mom lost two homes and she lost everything that she owned because of me, because the life I was living, the things I was doing, she had to suffer and she lost two homes. And, and, and I didn't, and one day my sister, Victoria, she, she put my mom in the car. She says, mom, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing. That's the life that he wants to live. And we have to leave and, and he's going to have to figure it out on his own. And, and so they got into a car and they drove away and, and they moved and I didn't know where they were at. So I lost, con I lost contact with my, with my, my family and and so I remember going into the church and I see my mom and, and, and even though I saw my mom I went and sat next to her I'm still crying I can't control myself I that, I was there for another reason you know and I remember you know going to church the first time you know I was you know I didn't know the the order of service I didn't know that they do message or, or they do announcements that they do a couple of songs that they you know then they do a message they do an altar call I didn't know none of those things I never been to church and but I remember something inside me was calling me to the altar. And I remember as I, I they, they finished the message and I went to the altar, I remember that I just began to plead with God and say, God, I'm so sorry, God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. God, I need you, God, to help me. I can't live like this anymore. I said, God, I said, if you're not going to, Help me, then let me die. Let me die right here, God, because there's nothing left. There's nothing left to me. I can't do it anymore. And I remember as I was sitting there and I was pleading with God that I was crying and I was breaking. I remember the whole church came. They started laying hands on me. They started praying for me in Spanish. And I don't speak Spanish. And they started praying for me in, in different languages and in tongues. And, and I remember as they were sitting, everybody was embracing me. I remember I, I have a vision in my mind that, that I'm at that altar and and I see myself on my face and, and I see Jesus come and he's so bright, he's so pure and so beautiful, so lit up. I couldn't see a face. I just seen a light and a, a silhouette of light. And, and he wraps his arms around me and he begins to hold me, squeeze me. And that was the first time in my life that I ever felt somebody love me. And I remember as he was embracing me and he, and he was holding me, I, the first thought that went through my mind was that he's not ashamed of me. I thought that he was ashamed of me. I thought that, that God hated me, that, that he would never love me. And here he is. He's embracing me. Love himself. He's embracing me. And the longer he held me and the, 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 the more he, he gripped me, all of a sudden he began to be filthy, covered in dirt, covered in filth. And it was all the filth that was coming off me. And, and he was taking it upon himself. And, and I remember when I stood up, 
when I stood up, the voices were gone. 18 years of drug addiction was gone. He gave me the strength and the desire to walk away from a homosexual lifestyle. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. I'm telling you that that, I, that day I became a new creation. I repented and Jesus Christ came into my heart and he made me a new creation. That with the time that I left that service, I was the transformation was so extreme and so quick that I was a complete stranger to myself. I didn't know who I was. I walked out of that church a completely different man. And I said, Lord, I don't know how to live a life without putting a needle in my neck. I don't know how to live a life, God, without chasing men that will never love me. God, I can't even say that I love you. How can I stand here and say I love you? I don't even, I don't even know how to love myself. And so I was in this place of God. I said, show me, God, what it means to be loved. Show me how to love, God. God, I want to love you. I want to know you, God. I don't ever want to lose this feeling. I don't ever want to lose this. And I remember that was the first day of, of my relationship with God. And, and my prayer, you know, when I was, when I was in my young, you know, days of walking with God, I said, God, show me what it means to be faithful and committed to you and to you alone. And, and you know, I, I just, that was the beginning of my love relationship with God. And, you know, as I begin to grow quickly, you know, the Lord showed me, you know, my mother got saved. You know, my, my family members begin to be saved. You know, men that I slept with uh, begin to be saved. And, and I mean, there's a brother now that, that I used to get high with and sleep with. He has, you know, he has, uh, you know, he has a child of his own and he's with a, a lady and they have a house and, and they have Bible study in their house, you know, and we're great brothers, you know, we're, we're closer than friends and, 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 but that's all it is. We're brothers in Christ. And, and, you know, so gang members started coming and getting saved. All these people started getting saved and, and the Lord put my really heavy on my, on my heart, my father. And I said, Lord, I said, uh, what will happen to my father if he dies and he don't know you? And of course I knew the answer, you know, without Christ, hell awaits. And, and so I, you know, the Lord said, said to me, write your father a letter. And so I wrote my dad a letter and I was just, I was excited, you know, because I was saved and I was living this incredible life all of a sudden and, and everything was brand new. And, and, and so I wrote my father a letter. I told him dad, I said, I found Jesus. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I said, I'm not on drugs anymore. I'm not that man that, that you knew, that kid you knew because my dad was in my life until I was 19 years old. And then our house got shot up. His, his house got shot up and, and, uh, and he sold it and he, him and my mother moved away because it was just the violence and, so I hadn't seen my dad from 19 to 32. So the last time he seen me, I was on drugs. We were all crazy. His house got shot up. People were dying and all this stuff was happening. And so I write him this letter. I'm not that person. I found Jesus Christ and I'm a different person. I want to start all over. And I remember, you know, just being excited, uh, mailing the letter. It came back like two weeks later and I was shaking, nervous to open it to see what he was going to say. And I what remember opening say? the letter. What say? He, he opened, I opened the letter and, uh, and my dad says, I don't care. And I don't want anything to do with you. That's what my father said to me. And I looked at that letter and I began to choke. And I began to cry and I couldn't breathe. And, and I said, God, I said, I don't have the power, the ability to make this man love me. I tried my whole life. I tried my whole life to get this man to love me. I said, but he can't stop me from loving him. And that day when I, I, I made a decision, you know what? I'm going to love my father regardless whether he loves me, he ever loves me. That's not... I'm the Lord, well, I was, when I said that, the Lord showed me a vision that me and my dad were standing together, and I saw like a little cross behind us. And so when the Lord showed me that vision, I took that as a sign that my, he was going to save my father one day. I didn't know when, I didn't know how. So for the next seven years, I wrote letters to churches in his, his, uh, in his town and asking people, can you just go and, and knock on his door, preach the gospel, don't tell me you know me, don't say nothing about me, just do what you do, go and share the gospel. 
And I finally found this man seven years later and a preacher and, and he was outreaching and he found my father and, and he knocked on his door and, and, uh, and I had asked him, I gave him the address to go and he knocked on the door and my dad invited him in and they were uh, reading the book of John to him. And he says, after 45 minutes of their, you know, uh, preaching to him and reading the, the book of John, they said that my dad uh, asked him to stop and, and, and he says, your dad wanted to repent and he gave his life to the Lord. And so when the, when the pastor called me the next day saying that my dad gave his life to the Lord, you know, I, I remember just being overtaken, overtaken, and I remember the phone fell to the ground, and then I, I followed it, and I hit the ground, and I began to cry, and I began to weep, and the Lord began to show me, he says, one day you and your father will walk the streets of gold, and you're going to worship me together. Seven years later, and then, and then after that, I, was, I had already bought a ticket to go see my dad, because I'm like, I don't care, I'm going to go preach the gospel, I'm going to win my father to the Lord, I'm not going to allow Satan to to destroy my relationship with my father. I'm not going to let Satan steal my dad's uh, salvation, his eternity. I'm not going to let the devil do that. So I went and I went to, uh, to my dad's town. And I remember he has other kids from another uh, relationship before us. And, and they picked me up from the, the bus stop. And I was determined to, to win my dad to the Lord. But he had got saved the week before I got there. So I get there and I just immediately, I see my father. And I just begin to embrace him. I'm holding his hand. I'm rubbing his back. And, you know, I'm just excited. I'm with my father. And, and then, but I noticed that he's looking at me strange. And I remember that, uh, that, you know, 15 minutes went by and, you know, he's kind of like, and I think, does he know me? Does, he's looking at me kind of crazy. And so I said, I said, dad, I said, do you know who I am? He goes, I don't know who you are. And um, he's like, I don't know you. And, and I thought that's strange because I'm holding him. Yeah. Another man, I'm holding him. I'm embracing him. I'm rubbing his back and, and he don't know me. I thought, well, maybe he has dementia. Maybe yeah. he's losing his mind, but he recognized his other kids. And I said, no. And so I kept talking to him and I kept, you know, holding him and I don't care. I'm excited. I'm, this is my father. And, and, and I remember I asked him again, I said, are you sure you don't know me? I said, I'm your baby. I'm your baby boy, your son. I said, from California. And he says, I don't know you. He says, I don't know who you are. And then, uh, and then I remembered that my, my whole family, they have a nickname for me. They call me sweetie. And so like, like sweetie, like candy sweet. And so I said, I, and then I asked him again, I said, are you sure you don't know me? I said, dad, I said, it's me. I said, it's your son. I said, sweetie, it's from California. And he go, and when I said sweetie, he looked at me. I'm not, his whole body jolted, his eyes popped, you know, begin to like pop out of, he looked at me in shock and he threw himself. He leaped at me and he grabbed me and he, and he held, he pulled me in and he squeezed me tight. And he said, son, and the, my whole life, my whole life, my whole life, all I ever wanted was for him to hold me and for him to call me son. That's all I wanted. That's all I ever wanted. And and in God's time, you know, as he was embracing me and he was and he was and he called me son, the Lord took me back to when I was a little kid. And, and, and the Lord says, he goes, remember when you were a little kid and your dad was hurting you? He says, you said, God, I don't want him to hurt me. I just want him to love me. God said, I was right there with you. I was right there with you, he says, and I'm giving you your father. And every, from that day forward, me and my dad, we have the most beautiful relationship, beautiful relationship. The Lord says, you're not going to get an apology. You're not going to get an excuse. You're not going to get a reason. None of those things are important. But what's important is for his salvation. What's important is, 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 is his eternity. And that's what the Lord has taught me, that as Christians, God wants us to love even when it hurts. And God says, there's going to be days in your life that here on earth that you wake up in the middle of the night crying because you're wounded. You have deep wounds. You have scars from all the things that have happened to you. He says that all those people that wounded you, all those people that scarred you, he says, he says, their, he says the, their eternity 
is 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 more important priority than your scars, than your wounds. And and so that's what the Lord was showing me. He says that all those people that scarred me, that you know the scars and the wounds, the pain. He says that's secondary. Was 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 first is their eternity. And he showed me that by Jesus on the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even though we nailed him to the cross, they whipped him, they beat him, they tore flesh off his body, they ridiculed him, they, they, you know, they pulled his beard out, they punched him, they spit on him. After all these things that, that he experienced, now he's on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's what the Lord is showing us as Christians, that we have to learn to love even when it hurts. You know, and so... The experience has been great. You know, the Bible says in Psalms 147.3, it says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And that's what Jesus did for me. You know, he, he bound up all my wounds, my scars, and, and my broken heart. You know, some people, when they come to the Lord, they come with a broken heart, two pieces. Some come, their hearts have been shattered more. They come with more pieces. And some people, they come to the Lord and their heart is completely dust. And when I came to the Lord, my heart was just dust. And I said, Lord, here's what's left of my heart. And God took my heart and, and he healed it. He healed my broken heart and he began to heal all my wounds. And, and the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, it says, for I am the Lord, your God. He says, I'll take you by the right hand that you don't have to be afraid because I'm helping you. And so that's one of the scriptures that have really kept me through because I could stand on that foundation that, that he's the Lord, my God, that he has, it don't matter the storm. It don't matter how high the, the, the mountain, it don't matter the circumstance, the situation, whatever I'm going to do, I know that I don't have to be afraid because God said that he has me by the right hand and that he helps me. And so, 320 says, to him who overcomes, it says, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcome and sit down with my father on his throne. You know, that scripture alone, that, that gives me the desire to overcome homosexuality. It, it gives me the, the desire to overcome, you know, drug addiction, mental, all these different things that the world has to offer. It gives me the desire to want, the, the drive to overcome every worldly thing because I want to sit on the throne. I want to be close to Jesus. And these are promises that, that he gives us that if we overcome the world, that we will sit with him on his throne. And I don't know about anybody else, but in heaven, I want to be right next to Jesus. Okay. I want to be as close as I can. All right, Eli, I just want to say first, can you hear me good? Yes. Okay. I am so, so touched by your story. I know many are. I mean, the lines are just blowing up with people responding. Eli, first of all, when you talked about your story, there was many people that wrote on here and they said that they could feel that little boy, that that mm. little boy is what was acting out. That little boy was angry because somebody was not paying attention to what was happening to him. And so when God brought that healing and that little boy surfaced and now the Lord had healed that little boy, uh, what you're saying is that that took away the desire of death. It took away mm. the desire of that perversion. When the Lord embraced you, which is what your father at that time did not do, uh, that is what kind of just melted away the, you know, the shame and, and the, the hurts that you experienced when you was a little boy, right? Absolutely. It was, uh, it was when I encountered the Lord that, you know, when, uh, when I encountered, uh, it's like this, 
I was mastered by the hurt. I was mastered by the pain. You know, I was sick. And so I, as a sick person, we take medication to, to, to overcome the sickness. And, and when I met the Lord, the Bible says he's the great physician. And so when I met the Lord, all of a sudden his love, his love outweighed all the hurt, all the pain, you know, it, it just, when you stand, when you have a true encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the world and everything that has ever done to you, it just, it doesn't account. It does, it just, everything put together, it just was gone. It was gone. I was able to forgive, you know, uh, when I stood in the, when, in, in the Lord, you know, his presence, just none of that mattered anymore. All of a sudden I was, you know how, when you fall in love with someone, when you're madly in love with somebody and that person leaves you for another person, you're broken, you're devastated. All you can think about is who was that person with and, and is that person going to come back and, and all you, you're just consumed with that person. And then all of a sudden you run into somebody else and, and all of a sudden there's a new love that's birthed. And all of a sudden you're so in love with this other person that all of a sudden you forgot all about that. You're not tormented. You're not angered. You're not bothered by that person that left you anymore. You're not jealous of the person that with all of a sudden because now you're hey. with this greater love. You're with this, yeah, absolutely. And you're with this greater love. And, and, and so that's what it was. That's what it was when I met Christ. I yeah. fell so in love with him. All that, none of that just mattered anymore. All of a sudden, I loved everybody, and and the what came, you know, what came over me is that I just wanted everybody to know Jesus. I wanted everybody to experience, to encounter this this God that I encountered. Well, Eli, what about the voices? Did you still hear the voices? What happened to the voices? You know, the voices. This is the thing that you know. Before I was in Christ, before I was a Christian. I heard voices. I saw things. I walked through the houses. Those, those spirits, you know, all that, it didn't leave. But what I learned is, is that, you know what, that had always been a gift from God to be able to hear things, to see things, to feel things. But because I was not walking in Christ, it was a torment. It, 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 I was in fear. But when I was walking with God, all of a sudden I realized it's a gift. He, it was a gift that he gave me to be able to see into that realm. So when I walk into a house and I see a little boy or I see, you know, a word, I say, what does this word mean? And or if I see a little boy, I'm like, was there somebody that died in this house? Because I'm seeing a little, per I'm seeing this person and I'll describe them. So I realized that it was, it had always been a gift from God to give, he gave me the gift to see things, to hear things in different yeah. realms and to see in different realms. And so, but now it's just used for the good. So they're still there, but they don't master me. I don't fear them because I, I walk with God and the Holy Spirit of God lives inside me. And I know that if the Holy Spirit of God is inside you, nothing can nothing can come All right, against Eli, you. Eli, when did you get set free? What year was this? So I got saved in 2005. What? I got saved. I had an encounter with Christ. Yes, I got saved in 2005. Wow. It's 14 years, and uh, and and if every every day after two, uh, that day, March 27, 2005, my love grew stronger and stronger. I mean, I'm convinced. I don't. You could put me in a, in a room with the smartest, intelligent people, and they could never convince me that God isn't real. That, wow. that the love of God, that God has the power to. I say, God has the power to change life. The Bible says, "These signs will follow those who believe. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll, they'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover." I've seen people come from the dead. I've seen people be, get delivered from demons. I've seen people get healed. The things that doctors couldn't do, I've seen God do through That's His Spirit. Right. Well, let me ask you this. How did you get involved with the Freedom March? How did you find out about it? So a couple of years ago, 
it's interesting because a couple years ago, I, God had put in my heart to start a group called Freedom in Christ. And he says, I want you to start a group called Freedom in Christ. And, and I want you to help people walk out of homosexuality, out of lesbian, trans, their whole life. And, and show them that they have an identity and their identity comes in Christ. And so yeah. I'm talking to my pastor and I'm talking to all these people. I want to start this group. I want to start. And I started even messaging other people trying to get curriculum or is there any groups out there? And, and, uh, and then somebody messaged me the Freedom Arts and they said, you should check this out because they're, they're talking about the same things that you're talking about. And so uh, and then I remember Luis contacted me and I remember um, what's the brother's name? The one that sings really good. He was singing at the march. Oh, um, I know. He was great. Yeah. So they started, they contacted me and, and, and they, they invited me to come out. And uh, so I live in, uh, you know, Northern California. It was in Hollywood. So me and my sister and another sister and one of the brothers, uh, we had an event. And at 10 o'clock, the event was over. And so at 11 o'clock, we drove all the way to Southern California. And uh, we went to the Freedom March. And I met the people. And then uh, I came again to the to this Freedom March because Brother Arturo and, and Sister Lori, they invited, they brought me out here. And, you know, praise God that they did, because if they didn't, I wouldn't have ever met you. And so that's how I got here this time. <laughs> well, I've got a story to tell you, Eli. Okay. okay. I'm going to tell you how your life changed her life. Oh. Now, listen, I met her in the business district of D.C., Okay. Okay. And we, we instantly bonded, and I invited her to come to the march. I said, I need help. She was behind mm -hmm. the camera, and you you was the first one I interviewed. She had right. no idea. She had no idea why I was coming to the march. So uh, okay. I want her to tell you what you did for her. So first Aww. of all, hello again, and I truly thank you for your story. I just want to, because I can be long-winded, I want to share that your story touched me because you, it's a language in this thing called healing. And you know it when you hear it. And I suffer from abandonment and rejection. My mother died when I was 17, and I never really got any ground after that. Um, and so when you spoke to that thing about your father, you know, I believe in principles. The technicalities change person to person, mm -hmm. but the principles always remain. And so what you wanted from your father, I wanted from my father. And my situation with him, um, I, 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 I can't be public, but I will say it was definitely intense and challenging. Um, but I loved him through it, and I loved myself. Right. And I'm saying that when I heard you speak as a man, as a man living in 2019, as a man who has completely changed his life around, for you to speak as freely as you do to your pain, and letting it go because you now understand that pain process is really prosperity, right? And that's what mm -hmm. I heard from you. And I I told you when I met her, I don't know any white women that I trust. I ain't got, like, yeah. there's not a whole <laughs> lot of places out here I got that I can trust. Right. And because of the work that I do, the level I, the level I have positioned myself, and the fact that all of it doesn't make any sense. Like, in the, right. on paper, this, it, it only makes sense in the sense of creation. I call it creation. Mm. And that's what I'm saying that's so beautiful about her. I don't have to admit to being a Christian in order to be in this loop. And that's where right. I really found myself when I heard the stories. I found myself in the midst of people who understood transformation and going Amen. beyond your own personal comfortability. And that's what I've been looking for. And when you shared your story, you opened up to me 
something that I, I didn't believe I could be loved either. Real, not like, mm. like I know love. Like I know love. Like my mama loved me. My mama had started having babies at 13 and didn't have me until she was in her 20s because she wasn't going to stop until she got a girl. That's why my name is Maker. Maker the last one because she was willing to die to have me. Mm. So I don't know or have been working to rectify why I'm here, especially in line with this thing called love that is so elusive. It's so elusive and it's so conditional. And I don't fit that mold. I'm a very pure spirit. I give from the heart. I give because I'm able to. And my saying is, if I see it, I'm responsible for it. So when you share them, because I deal with alpha men. I deal with alpha men and all I see is they little boys. And for you to mm. put yours on front and to share that, for the men who I helped or I have helped and have served and in myself, to have finally felt the fortitude, I truly, truly, I cannot say it enough. I felt like that ground was consecrated on Saturday mm. because th mm. th there were many tears. There were many, there was much diversity. That There was love in that place. So there was love yeah. and there was the spirit of creation and Christ and, 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 and love and family. And that's what's been missing. When I look around, that's what I don't have. I ain't got a mama. My daddy, he came to visit me a few days. I mean, a few years ago, but he's not active as a grandparent. As a, he, he just, he's a figure. And I felt mm -hmm. something more than figures in that place. And when you spoke, I swear you broke in me that mm. I am love. You broke in me that I, I don't need nothing else. All I need Amen. is to do the work. And that's what I have been fearful. So that's what you and, and the other sisters, like, y'all broke my fear. Cause I was walking in fear. Cause I, ain't, where's the support? How am I gonna live? Where's the money coming from? Like all those questions, and I no longer sit in those questions. I get up and I get out my door, and I wait to see what adventure the Creator got for me on that day. Now, what she don't know is the other girl that hugged you. The story behind her is mm -hmm. she contacted me a few days before. And she wanted to come up here and to be with me, so I invited her to the march. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. That woman is in her 60s. And right. she, she has stuff that she's dealing with in her heart. When you was giving your testimony, she was behind the camera bawling. This woman is standing over here bawling. Mm -hmm. I'm, <laughs> I'm over here bawling. And <laughs> Your story is such mm. a blessing, Eli. I'm telling wow. you, I pray. This is what I'm feeling in my spirit. There is going to be a movie about you, Eli. Mm. Your your story, listen, your story needs to be in a movie. Because the, the, <laughs> the devil came in when you was a little boy, and he tried every way to kill you and destroy you. Because you're a world changer. God mm. has big, big, big plans for you, see. And that's why God's grace kept you. That's why he would not let you kill yourself. He would not let the devil take you out. Your your story is going to be amazing. And listen, here on WATV TV, I am honored to have you on here today. And it is, we would not have done this, probably, if the audio would have worked on the first video. Right. Now look what God did. Because yes. it didn't work, 
I had to do this, but this is the way God means it to be. Amen. Because the world needs to know uh, such trauma that you experienced and how God can heal yes, the trauma. Yes, and does. also, not only that, Eli, about the trauma, but there, there's a big lesson in here for the church right now, okay? When I was there Saturday and I was behind the camera and I was watching all the different people and I was listening to all the different stories, I was behind the camera and I was weeping to the Lord. I was repenting. Mm. And I, I was repenting to the Lord because the relationship that I have with God based upon what I do in the White House and what I do in, the, in D.C. is it's all based upon the church as a whole. Okay? So I repent to God for the church on different things. My ministry, mm. we are the bride. So I was yes. behind the camera and I was repenting to God and I said, God, I am so sorry that the church did this. And what I mean is we quit preaching truth. We, mm. we quit preaching to people about casting out demons. We quit, yes. we quit preaching to people that if you watch these shows and you allow that vomit to come in, mm -hmm. it's going to continue <laughs> to taint you and take you down the wrong road. You know what I mean? Like we got so Amen. much into the prosperity message and so much. Yes. How can I, you know, be a self guru and help you mm -hmm. to be a millionaire and, and help you this instead of saying, I want to help you to learn who you are in Christ. So we got to do some house cleaning. Mm -hmm. Yes. Know, that's what Alicia yes. said. Though. Alicia said when she was exposed to a tape, that's what took her into her other aspects of herself, that exposure. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we don't speak to that enough as far yeah. as what guarding right. yourself. And like I was sharing with you earlier, I'm a former media literacy educator, but whatever, however you put it, the thing is to really understand what messages are being portrayed to you. And right. you don't know yeah. who benefits. Yeah. Who benefits from these messages? And so there is a, a right. complete lesson in that. And I just really, I really thank you because I feel like your story, I have a friend actually even who uh, had, situations with transgenders and uh, divorcing and and i remember telling him it's a woman out there that'll love you just like you are as soon as you love mm. yourself and all praise is due today he got that woman and Aww. she loved him just like he amen did. hey i want to ask you amen amen i want to ask you did you get married what happened i did not get married um i i'm in a place in my life where i'm content with uh with following christ and um and I have no desire to be with a, a man. I have no desire to be with a woman. Um, if God wants to bring me a wife, I, I, I'm open to it. But as of now, I'm not married, and, and I'm content with just being able to serve God. So, but uh, Mama Jean, I want to say two things about what you said. Uh, one of the things, first, I want to say um, you're right about the church because, like I said, from 18 to, to 32, I was out there on those streets. And how many pastors, how many church members, how many Christians drove past me and didn't say nothing? And uh, even as I was saying earlier, I got into a story about a man. After I got saved, a man, I met a man in, in another city, and, uh, and we started talking. And he was looking at me. He goes, brother, he goes, is that you? He knew I was a Christian because I was driving the church van. And he says, brother, is that you? And I said, well, who do you think I am? And he goes, are you that man on the other side of the mountain? He goes, that walks up and down the street talking to yourself all, all day and all night. And I looked at him, I said, that's me. And he just began to weep. He began to cry. And I said, why are you crying? 
And he says, I, I drive the, the garbage truck. And he goes, I drive in, in this town, which is about 40 minutes from where I live. He says, every day, Monday through Friday, when I would get up, he says, I would leave the area about 3 o'clock in the morning. I would drive down the, the highway. He says, at 3 o'clock in the morning, he goes, I would see you standing under the streetlight. And I would stand under the streetlight all night long because in between streetlights is darkness and fear would come over. So I would stand under the streetlight all night long, even in the pouring rain, being soaking wet. And he says, I would see you as I would drive to work 3 o'clock in the morning. He says, you were standing in the rain, under the light, screaming at people, and there was nobody there. He says, I would go to work, do my, do my shift, and I would come home. He goes, and you're still standing in the same place, and you're still screaming, and there's nobody there. He goes, and every single day that I drove past you, he says, the Lord told me, pull over, get out of your car, wrap your arms around that man, and tell him how much I love him. And he says, he says one day, he says, I, I got the nerve. He says, to, 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 I got out of my car, he goes, and I was walking behind you, he says, and he, he says, I, I said, hey. And he says, when you looked around and you looked at me, he says, all I saw was the devil looking at me. He says, and fear gripped me. He says, and I got back in my car. He says, and, 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 and I began to cry and weep. I went home and told God, God, I'm sorry. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And that's why he was crying. But I tell people all the time, you know, that how many people drove past me. The Lord was telling them to stop. And the Lord was telling them to, to hug me, to embrace me. Nobody did it. So in my testimony, all the things that I say, are things that happen in life. People are being abused every single day. You know, people are being possessed every single day. All these different things are happening. They're committing suicide, drug overdose. But my, the true testimony in this whole story that I told you is that there was one woman, one woman, Sister Miriam, one woman that pulled over and, and, and preached the gospel to a man that was dying and on his way to hell because she had the love of Christ in her and she had the boldness with the Holy Spirit in her to stop. She wasn't concerned about being attacked. She wasn't concerned about being rejected. She knew that she heard the Lord speak and she stopped. She responded to God. And look at today. My story has been heard in 32 nations across the world. I traveled to different countries preaching the gospel. You know, I, I, I've done all these things because one woman stopped, heard God and stopped, was obedient to preach the gospel to a man that was dying. So again, yes. So that's my example. That's why I quit my job. That's why I, 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 I went into a full-time ministry. It's not, a, it's, I mean, I go, I, I'm out there every single day of, of my life because she's the, my example. She exampled Christ. Christ was out there preaching the gospel, casting out demons. And so that's my example. That's who I'm supposed to be as a Christian. You know, so I'm not concerned about the, the big churches and the multitudes. And I'm not concerned about none of those things. God called me out of the streets to go back to the streets to preach the gospel, to be bold, to look for that demon-possessed person, to look for that transgender person, to look for that person that's been rejected, the homeless, eating out of the dumpster, to go and embrace them, hold them, feed them, clothe them, love them, and show them the love of Christ. So that's what God called me. And so that's, she's my example of what the church should be doing. And that's what I'm doing. And, you know, and I thank God that I'm in a church with my pastor, Ralph Gonzalez. He has the heart, just like this woman, you know, he has a heart for the lost and for the broken. The other thing that I wanted to share with you is that you don't know this. You didn't know this, but I've met with already with two movie directors. And I was doing some ministry a couple years ago in Detroit. And, and, and they, they called me to have a meeting. And, then, and this is the crazy thing is when I was coming back to California to meet with them, the Lord spoke to me and he said, when you go meet with these two men, it's not about you making a movie. It's about their salvation. And so when I met with them, you know, they were saying, we want to make a movie. I said, let's pray. I said, you know, first you have to know this. They said, no, well, we know already we want to make a movie. I said, okay. I said, we could work together on, on two conditions. One, that God is glorified. And two, 
that, uh, that it's to reach souls. And they said, well, we're not really trying to, you know, make Jesus the center. We just want to make this movie and we'll put like a cross and stuff in the background. I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I said, again, I said, if we're not, you know, if we're not on the same page about, you know, reaching souls and glorify God, I said, I, I, I don't, I don't want it. I, you know, I'm going to, I could walk away and not lose no sleep over it. They never called me. I never called them. But today, and God told me that that was a trap. That was a trap because they wanted to use the story and pervert it because they didn't want God to be the center. They wanted to say, let's use a lot of cussing. It's just a lot of violence and a lot. And, I, and that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to glorify God and reach souls. And so I said, no, and, and they never called me. I never called them. But today, today, there's a group of people that are, are, are reaching to movie directors that they know. And my book is sitting on a table. You know, my story is sitting on a table. And, and, and we're waiting to see what God does with it because it is going to be a movie. It is going to be a movie. Thank you, Brother Eli. Yes. Listen, uh, Eli, what you don't know is uh, up here in Washington, that is the big demon that we fight up here is the demon of perversion. And oh. I'm telling you, a movie like that would help the country so much for them wow. to be able to see the, you know, to the see the demon possession actually, because that's what people to see I, the life of, right. Absolutely. You know, what did it. I think that the, of course us three and those who were at the March, we definitely understand demon possession. We understand infiltration. We understand calling them in, rejecting them. I had a situation where the devil came and sat atop my bed, like hovering, like, mm -hmm. okay, you tired yet? You coming with me? And, in my house, yeah. say you don't own nothing in here. You ain't got no eyes looking right. for you. You ain't got no ears hearing for you. You ain't got no <laughs> lips speaking for you. Like, we denounce right. that thing. Yeah. And so, but we have a foundation that lets us know we're not playing with them. We know it's real. That's and right. And we know that if we're That's not right. careful and if we don't protect ourselves, we yes. can fall under this thing, whether wherever we're coming from, going to. And so I think that because uh, it is, it's very real. The perversion here and the depths mm -hmm. of it and the length of time that it's gone on and the fights that happen and the infighting. And so to have something, especially with media being used as a tool yes. anyway. Yes. So to yes. utilize that, um, I believe would be wonderful, even in just because you're so pure and honest and true that you will have the ability or through that medium have the ability to break through the through through to those souls and allow them mm. their own deliverance and salvation. All right, Brad, I want to point out something else about Eli's story. Uh, Eli did not start out in gross darkness. It starts out mm. small, and then it builds, it builds. In Eli's heart, when he was a little boy, and he, if he could have seen himself 20 years down the road, mm -hmm. he would never want to be that. He, he would never have wanted to experience what he did or to touch the things he did, to do the things he did. He, as a little boy, would have never wanted that. But the devil desensitized him. Yes. He, it slowly mm. built, do this, do this. One He's day. Peace. Yeah, and it, it gets darker and darker and darker. And it lures you in to where your mind is a reprobate mind. It's where yes. you, you cannot, you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. You, you cannot even fathom the gross darkness that you're really in 
because you're so far into it. When they say the devil is in the details, right, yes. Drew, Eli, yes. the devil is in the details. And if you're not aware of yourself, then what we do is we leave ourselves open for other people's commitment and impact. Yes. And so that's yes. why, and that's why I'm so grateful. I would have never saw myself as a bride to the creator. Just even though yes. it was crazy, is a, the, the marriage of the lamb is what the yeah. Hebrew, he, and so that's what, and so when I'm thinking about it, that's my Because I gave her my life look. Yes. And so the, mm. the, becoming the bride is very, I've already been here, but now I'm here with a more right. fortified foundation because I Amen. think with references and analysis points and being in that space and having the real experience and it being a very diversified experience mm -hmm. of true faith and true worship and true knowledge of something that is bigger. Um, I, I just don't think that there's any better work to be done. And I truly, truly thank you. And thank you and thank you mm. more yes, and more. Because the more we Amen. get trauma and healing, like yes. you're healed. Nobody, I can never see you with like ratty toenails or gray appearance. <laughs> like uh -huh. that's not the Eli that I know, which even to your point, that wasn't Eli. That wasn't right. Jesus, right. the son, Eli, who was mm. in that space. And so the more we tell these stories and we open up the spaces for this nasty, traumatic experience that none of us ever asked for. Yeah. We didn't want it. Right. But slowly, this the, 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 the environment, it chips at us. And right. it allows us to take these compromising steps that create the slippery slope. Yes. But it also makes for a beautiful journey and story such as you shared with us today. Right. Eli, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to pray. And listen, Eli. Yes. Listen, uh, I just want to say how much I am encouraged today, uh, mm. how much I love you, Eli. And listen, all of you that want to call in and pray for Eli, okay, I'm going to open up the phone line after I pray for you to call in if you want to have the honor to pray with him live. Uh, the number that you would call is 615 933 9282 615-933-9282-but-don't-call-yet-hold-on-let-me-pray-and-then-you-can-call-in-and-pray-for-him-or-if-you-just-want-to-call-and-give-him-a-word-of-encouragement-you're-welcome-to-so-I'm-gonna-
that there would be no repercussions over his mind from all of the voices, all the things that happened, no repercussions in his body from the sin that the devil tried to take him out with. Pull all those roots out, Lord, right now in Jesus' Mm. name. Pull those roots out right now in Jesus' name. Heal him, Lord. And Lord, I pray that all of those uh, longings, all of his heart's desires that he has in his heart, Lord, that you would fulfill those. Lord, I thank you that the rest of his story is going to be the best of his story. This is just the beginning. Lord, we thank you that we are giving you the pen to the next chapter. And we are trusting you, Lord, with this next chapter, that you are the perfect author of his book. You wrote his book before time began. Your plan for him is yes and amen. You have already went before him, prepared the path, laid it out, and he is going to walk forward into it, not looking back, not being held down by the back, not being full of anger, not being full of wrath over the harm done to him, but forgiveness flows out of his heart. And Lord, that you would use him to show the love of Jesus everywhere he goes. Let him be an example of trauma that has been done and the love that comes on the other side of it, just like it was with Jesus. When Jesus was hit, when Jesus was plucked, and when Jesus' skin was pulled off and all that, the love that he had for people is what the bride needs today. Yes. We need this kind of love. Lord, I pray over this movie. And, Lord, we Mm. come together in agreement, Lord, that the people that you have come along that will do this movie, Lord, that they will be anointed, that they will not pervert what has happened, but that they would truthfully tell it, just like the movies that's been coming out right now about abortion. Those are are truth movies that are showing how it is and showing how they're doing it. Let the same be done this way, but with the truth and the love of Jesus coming through. Like, In other words, Lord, them expressing the true miracle of the magnitude of his heart that the devil tried to destroy so much. And Lord, I just want to thank you for saving his father. That is so, mm. that is so beautiful, Lord, what you did for his father. Lord, how you loved him and you you healed him and how he got to hold his son like he always wanted to, Lord, and how you restored a father to the son. Lord, it is yes, a beautiful God. story. And I thank you for that, Lord, for healing the father and saving the father, saving the mother, saving the family. Yes. Lord, we thank you for that. We give you praise for this story. His story is for your glory. And we thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Eli, Eli, there's people watching that have had broken lives. I would like for you to pray for them, and then we're going to open up the phone if anybody wants to call in and pray for Eli. Go ahead, Eli, and pray for them. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we give you honor, we give you glory. Father, we thank you, God, that you wake us up each day in our right mind. We thank you for the activity of our limbs. We thank you for 
every breath you breathe into our body. It we is. thank you, God, for the blood that's pushing through our veins. But mostly what we thank you for is Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. Father, you said that no man can take his life, but that he laid it down so that we can have life. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Father, right now, God, for every person, God, that's watching this, this interview, God, that's dealing with brokenness, God, that's dealing with hurt, God. Father, I pray that right now, God, that you would just begin to wrap your arms around each person, God. Father, I pray that as you wrap your arms around them, God, that you would pull them in tight, God, that you would let them know that you truly love them, God. Father, we thank you, God, that you're a healer, that you're a deliverer, that you're a restorer. And so, Lord, right now, God, Father, we pray, oh God, for everyone listening, God, that is dealing, God, with rejection, hurt, abuse, God, of any kind, oh God. Father, we cancel every assignment of the devil right now, God, in the name of Jesus. Yes, Father, we come against every line and confusing spirit, every sickness, every disease. Father, we come against every mindset, every understanding, God. Father, we tear down every stronghold and we bind the strong man. Yes. Lord, we come against every form of darkness, witchcraft, white magic, black magic, the occult, God. Mm. Father, we come against every spirit right now, God, that has overwhelmed and taken your children, God. Father, we ask that right now, God, that in your presence, God, that you would cause every chain to be broken and every curse to be destroyed. Father, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus over your children, God. Father, right now, Lord God, I thank you, God, that your word, God, your presence, God, your love, God, is delivering, God. God, those that are demon-possessed, those that are brokenhearted. God, I pray for the prostitute, God, that she's selling her body because, Lord, she's always been rejected. She's been raped and molested her whole life, God. Father, we pray for the transgender, God. God, that as a little boy, they were abused, God, sexually taken advantage of young, of, of taking advantage of from men, Lord God. Father, we lift up those, Lord God, that are out there killing people, God. God, they're broken, God. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would, God, God that you would cause there to be a shifting, God, right now, yes. God, in all their lives, God. I pray, God, that you just begin to mend their heart, God. God, that you begin to tend to their wounds, God. Father, mostly, I pray, God, that right now, God, that you would show them that they have an identity, that their identity comes in Christ and in Christ alone, God. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you remove the veil, God, that they can see you, God. Open up their ear gate, God, that they can hear your voice, God, for the specific plan that you have for their life, Lord. Father, right now, Lord God, I pray, God, you would overwhelm, Lord God, even the listener, God, right now that's yes. crying, Lord God, tearing because they're able to relate to something that was said, Lord God. God, I thank you, God, that you visit them right now, God. Overwhelm them, Lord God. God, I pray that you cause it to be a shifting in their room, God. Even though they're listening, God, you're everywhere, Lord God. So, Lord, embrace, God. Embrace your children, God. Hold them tight, God. Remind them that you love them, God, that you have a purpose and a plan for all their lives, Lord God. Father, you said that you knitted them together in their mother's womb, Lord. Father, you counted every hair. You caught every tear, Lord. You even said, Lord God, that your thoughts of us, Lord God, that they outnumber the sand. That means you're mindful of every one of us, God, that, that we're always on your mind, Lord. You said that you would never forget us because you carved our name in the palm of your hand, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would, Lord God, just visit, God, those that are lost, those that are broken, God. Father, we pray, Lord God, that this testimony, God, that this interview, God, would be used for your glory, God, that would draw people in, Lord God. There's people, Lord God, right now, we've been praying for their marriages, God, been married for 25 years, and their husband is, Lord God, battling homosexuality, God. God, there's men, Lord God, that, that have been married, have kids, Lord God, but they can't stop cheating on their wives, Lord God, with, with homosexual porn and all these things, Lord God. Father, we pray that you heal marriages, God. Father, right now, Lord God, we pray, God, that you would raise up the church, God. God, that you would raise up the church, God, that we would be, that we would example Christ, Lord God, that God, that we would be a bold church, God, unashamed, yes, God. God, that we, that we would not operate in fear, Lord God, but God, that every time that we walk out of our door, Lord God, when we see humanity, when we see the multitudes, God, God, the first thing that comes to our, our mind is where will they spend eternity, God? Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would drive us, God, God, to, to preach the gospel, Lord God, to be a bold church, God, unashamed, Lord God. 
And so, Lord, we pray, God, that right now, God, I thank you, God. I know right now, God, that you're moving over the listeners, God. I thank you for Mama June, Lord God, my sisters, God. Father, thank you for their hearts, oh God. I just pray that you use this interview, God, to be glorified, to reach souls, oh God. God, right now, we just, we thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, the phone line's open if anybody wants to call. 615-933-9282. If you want to call and pray for him. Uh, let me put the phone number right here. If not, we'll be finished. I appreciate you taking the time tonight. Amen. Uh, Eli, and for sharing with us and being honest with us. And being transparent. And let me tell you something, Eli. The world needs transparency. We have so mm. many fake people out there. Uh, they they make Christianity look unobtainable. Because right. they, they look like they're too perfect. Like they never mess up. Ever, you know what I mean? People need yes, to, absolutely. Yeah, people need to see that it's a struggle. It's a war that we're in. Yes. You know? And so I appreciate you being transparent. Amen. So, well, nobody's calling. What's wrong with y'all out there not wanting to pray for Brad? <laughs> she said we're tired. We've been on. Yeah, they're we're tired. tired. We've been on here for two hours. So we they're, probably, they're, probably too, they're probably too devastated what they just heard. <laughs> Do what now? I said they're probably trying to process what they heard. Uh, yeah, that's true. I know, Eli. Well, brother, I love you, and I pray the best for you tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, Brad. Thank you so much for tuning in to Brad Timeline. God bless you, Eli. God thank you. God bless you, too. All right. Bye-bye.